Hello and welcome to the first Out of Silence podcast. I'm Kate McLaughlin, I'm Professor of English Literature at the University of Oxford and I'm joined by my friend Alex Harris who is Professor of English Literature at the University of Birmingham. Hello Alex. Hello Kate, very nice to see you. And today we are looking at a Shakespeare sonnet, sonnet number 23 and very much hope that you can look at the text while we're talking about it. Um, if you just Google Shakespeare Sonnet 23, you will find a version of it and hopefully can follow along. So Alex, would you like to read the sonnet for us, please? Thanks. Yes, I'm rather nervous about reading Shakespeare's sonnets, but I shall try. As an unperfect actor on the stage, who with his fear is put besides his part, or some fierce thing replete with too much rage whose strength's abundance weakens his own heart. So I, for fear of trust, forget to say the perfect ceremony of love's right, and in mine own love's strength seem to decay, or charged with burden of mine own love's might. Oh, let my books be then the eloquence and dumb presages of my speaking breast, who plead for love and look for recompense more than that tongue that more hath more expressed. Oh, learn to read what silent love hath writ, to hear with eyes belongs to love's fine wit. Thank you. What made it come to your mind now, Kate? Why this one? Why this one? So this sonnet it seems to me, is all about the difficulties of communication. And goodness knows, in this lockdown, communication has become extremely difficult. So it seemed to me an interesting way into thinking about our current communication difficulties while looking at what Shakespeare is talking about. And here he is talking about what it is to be passionately in love with somebody and therefore not to be able to find the words to express your love for them or to them. So you want to tell someone how wonderful they are and how much you love them, but just somehow your tongue is tied and you just can't find the words. We've probably all been there. If you're in the presence of somebody that you want to impress, who you fancy, then of course that's the moment when you're going to be at your least eloquent. And it seemed to me that we're now in a situation where communication has changed a lot. We are either isolated alone or with a few members of our family and communication has largely gone online. We're not meeting people as often as we did. If we do meet people they're very brief encounters and we hardly get to exchange many words with them and so it seemed to me that this it's a, it's a different reason for not being able to communicate but we're having to learn this new kind of way of saying what we, need, we mean to people. It's one of the wonderful things about poetry, a strong poem like this, I suppose, that you can take it so far out of its initial context of um, the early love affair. Mm. And, uh, you know, I've been using it, I suppose, to think about my neighbours, about this street, about the fact that behind these closed, quiet windows is so much passion and, and feeling that necessarily looks from the outside silent. Um, yes. And this great quietness of the world um, is the outward sign of this huge body of feeling that runs across the, the globe now, of shared feeling, of individual feeling. Um, and I think the sonnet speaks really, or, or presages dumbly, really, really strongly mm. to that. 
And what you say about having very short encounters with people and slightly mixed up encounters because you're at seven foot distance or something is very recognizable to, to me too. I keep sp spying a, a friend I haven't seen for all month across the a common on our one excursion of the day. And you want to sort of say something, you want to express something that sums everything up, that is enough, that is adequate somehow. And yet with just body language, it's so hard to do that, or a few shouted words that you feel self-conscious about. So I found myself very much in sympathy with this unperfect actor who's forgotten his part. I feel mm. that there's somehow a part that we're all meant to be playing, and a lot of us are struggling to find out quite which part that, that is at the moment. Mm. And, and it seems very clear to me that the people who are making a lot of noise are not the only people who are feeling a lot. Yes, absolutely. So the pressure is on and the idea of being word perfect, which is what Shakespeare seems to be holding up as this ideal. He mentions the perfect ceremony of love's right. So in other words, there is a certain form of words that's right and almost owing at a certain time. To actually get that right is incredibly difficult. And this idea of word perfect, word perfection is something that so many people are falling short of. I know I am at the moment. And what about being beside oneself? That sense of to be beside one, one's part is also just sort of madness to be beside yourself, isn't mm, it? to be mm. talking with yourself. That's something that we get in isolation, isn't it? A lot talking to yourself. Absolutely. And the idea of some fierce thing replete with too much rage, whose strength's abundance weakens his own heart. So you're so overcome with emotion, in fact, that it actually makes you less able to express what you want to. You find the strength of the emotion saps your own strength. So mm. I like what you're saying about behind quiet windows and in this very quiet country at the moment, well, a quiet world, there's a huge amount of emotion. And I think this is all pouring out on social media and, and other kinds of outlets of expression. To hear with eyes is an amazing phrase, to hear with eyes. How does that, how does that sound to you now? To hear with eyes sounds to me as though Shakespeare's talking about body language which is something I think interests him throughout his plays, throughout his sonnets. So, in other words, if you can't get the words perfect, the speaker of the poem saying to his lover, at least read my body and, and know what I mean, because you'll be able to see it in my eyes. This has made me think very much of the current situation in terms of people wearing masks. I have a friend who's a doctor in Brescia, which is in Lombardy, so it's right at the epicentre of the crisis at the moment. And she was telling me about old people who've been admitted to hospital. Terrifying situations with all the hospital machinery. And they might not be able to hear very well or see very well, and they can't pick up the cues that you normally can with body language because the doctors and nurses are wearing masks over their faces. And I was also reading about one um, healthcare worker who, who had noticed this and so had printed out a picture of his own face with a massive smile, laminated it and stuck it on his uniform to let the patients know that there is a smiling human behind this mask. What Shakespeare's saying about body language is something I think that's quite innate to all of us. We can pick up these cues, or at least we're very, very trained in picking up these cues through our lives. But suddenly we can't rely on, on those cues anymore and we can't rely on what he, what he calls love's fine wit. Um, we, we, we can't rely on it. It strikes me that he uses 
dumb shows, ideas of dumb presaging, more than once in his his work, actually. I mean, it's quite a, a theme of the stage. And how how do those dumb shows work? How, how does he express his interest in body language through the, the theatre? Mm-hmm. Well, I think as a writer for the theatre, he's obviously interested in visual body language. And I suppose the most famous dumb show is the one in Hamlet, in which the murder by Claudius of old Hamlet is enacted using very large and simplistic gestures and I think this was a dumb show that revivified the dumb show in Elizabethan theatre. There's a there's another dumb show in Pericles and there's the Mechanicals play in Midsummer Night's Dream but this dumb show in Hamlet is a very exaggerated performance of what has happened in the play in, in other words the murder and you'd think it would be very obvious what's going on and yet I think the first line after it is Ophelia saying but what does this mean and the problem now with body language and dumb show is that interpretation is so hard to pin down because a look a gesture it can mean a range of things words are possibly more precise not always but can be more more precise than dumb gesture Shakespeare not a stranger to forms of illness and uh, mm. national plague. Actually, how how did plague impact on his his life? Well, the sonnets first came out in book form in sixteen oh nine. That's when he'd been writing them over the last ten years or so. But they were collected together and published in sixteen oh nine. And there had been an outbreak of plague from I think August sixteen oh eight to to March sixteen oh nine. I think I've got that right. And so that meant the theatres were closed and he wasn't getting an income from the theatre, which is a situation that people in the theatre today are feeling very much, all kinds of performers and all kinds of workers whose work involves some kind of public interaction. And so he took the opportunity to finish the series of sonnets, 153 sonnets in all, and had them published in, in, as, a, as a collection, which I think is a kind of salutary reminder of what can be achieved in isolation oh. if we only put our minds to it we can all now go go out or, or rather stay in and write a rather lovely sonnet sequence <laughs> I think that's too close to the bone in terms of playing one's part there's so there's so much talk of these grand projects we should yes. all be in, embarked on absolutely um, and yes. yet actually I, I, I just feel I want to watch and wait and absorb and yes do what tasks are allotted to me but I think this this frenzy of, of acting our parts is, mm, is mm, a bit disturbing mm, mm. actually well the other thing that Shakespeare mentions here is books I let my books be then the eloquence and dumb presages of my speaking breast so yes he's talking about body language but he's also talking about another kind of silent communication which is writing so I keep seeing that people are doing lots of different reading projects while they're in lockdown. Are you embarked on one of those projects? Um, actually, I, I am. Um, I'm judging the forward prizes for poetry. Um, so I've got no lack of reading matter. I've got 208 books and several hundred single poems to, to think right. about. Okay, so perhaps you won't be writing that many sonnets. I'll, think... I'll fit in a sonnet every evening, definitely. Okay. Um, the, the, the sonnet form is in an interesting relationship to silence isn't it because it's so contained constrained in its ways it's Mm. it's whole being is to do with paring down concision how how do you think he he fits the form to the the theme and the meaning here well i think you're absolutely right there's a great sort of pairing away with sonnets and of course there's the ongoing irony that he's talking about being tongue-tied in the most 
beautifully wrought 14-line poem. I'm interested in sonnet 126, um, which people watching might like to Google as well, which begins, O thou my lovely boy. And it's talking about this, the young man and saying, well, yes, you're young and lovely now, but time marches on and eventually nature is going to win. You will get old and die. And instead of being a 14-line poem, it's a 12-line poem. And I think in its first printing, it had, and in subsequent printings, what should be the 13th and 14th lines are, are just blanks and they're enclosed by round brackets. So there's a sense almost if, if you think of a, a sonnet as a glass, then the glass isn't quite filled to the brim. So there's a slight sort of emptiness where the silence is. And of course, that very silence is enacting the theme of death, hourglasses, all the things that are coming out through through that sonnet. Brackets, I think, can be so eloquent. I mean, black brackets are almost these sort of holders, aren't they? They hold mm. like hands gathering this space on the the page. I mean, how else do you demarcate a, a space but to put brackets around it to almost take it in your arms? Well, that's right. The idea of the idea of visual silence, brackets, empty brackets, I suppose, of one form of visual silence. Are you aware of any other literary brackets? Oh, I'm, a, I'm quite a connoisseur of brackets, um, primarily because I sort of learned to read through, through Virginia Woolf, who is an extraordinary artist of, of brackets, and um, she will use them to express, um, she always cordons off one form of reality that is separate from another, things which are too emotional to think about in normal time are put in, in brackets, not because they're not important, but because they somehow belong to a, a different way of thinking. And things that go on simultaneously, she'll bracket off from each other to show them both um, having their own ex existence. Um, and she, of course, is a, another great writer of, of silence who use bracket, uses brackets for that purpose too, to show us the space on the page. Well, I think we've just got ourselves the topic for our next podcast. So let's leave it there and look forward to Virginia Woolf and brackets and more silence in the next one. Alex, thank you very much. Thank you, Kate.